Uh, good afternoon, everybody. My name is uh, Rich Kendrick from uh, Steeple of Nicholas KBW. It's a combined firm now. Uh, I think usually you've seen me here from Steeple, um, but we usually do this every year. Uh, I have. Okay, can you hear that? Okay. Uh, very quickly, I'm Rich Kendrick from KBW Stiefel. Our panel here is to talk about BDCs, um, which you heard a little bit about in the last panel, because it, it in some ways mimics a closed-end fund. I do think that one point that they made that they really do need to think about in the closed-end fund space is I think research is really a differentiating issue. The BDC sector does have research. Almost every investment bank has a BDC research analyst, and I think that helps them, that has helped them outperform the closed-end fund business for the last year or two. Uh, with me, I have Mark Penn, uh, Chairman and CEO of Pennant Park and PFLOAT, so two different BDCs, slightly different strategies. And I have Raj Sharitha here with me, the SVP of Finance for New Tech. Uh, these are three different strategies um, that are you know, a little bit outside the norm in some cases. And so we thought that we'd give each of these guys a little bit of time to explain their platforms. We'll do probably talk a little bit about the change in the debt rules and some of the distribution issues in BDCs. And then we'll have some time for question and answer. So, Art, would you like to? Great. Thanks. Thanks, Rich, and thanks for inviting us here today. And we appreciate everyone's attendance uh, at this conference. So Penn & Park today manages two separate BDCs. We started out 11 years ago setting up a BDC with a focus primarily on mezzanine or subordinated debt, primarily directly, uh, direct lending to middle market companies, primarily uh, those companies owned by middle market financial sponsors. That strategy today, 11 years fast forward, we call across the capital structure because we've moved higher in the capital structure, first lien, stretch senior, second lien, and MES. Again, primarily middle market companies, primarily backed by middle market financial sponsors. So that's an 11-year-old BDC that's performed well, including through the global financial crisis. And seven years ago, with the help of, of Rich and his colleagues and many others uh, in this room, including the folks at Morgan Stanley, we set up a second BDC, primarily to focus on the top of the capital structure first lien senior secured floating rate loans directly originated from middle market financial sponsors. These are not the broadly syndicated loans you find in many closed end funds. These are directly originated, diligenced, structured, high covenant negotiations. And those two BDCs work hand in glove. When our investment team goes out, they originate loans. Their job is to originate loans, and we give them the mission originate the best loans you can, whether they be classic first lien, stretch senior, second lien, or MES, and we'll figure out which of these BDCs get that flow. And so in, so in certain cases, the BDCs co-invest in a limited, a limited percentage of, of the time. So between the two BDCs, those, and we have some other vehicles that are not BDCs, those two BDCs have a little bit north of two billion of capital. PFLT, our more senior-oriented BDC, has been growing more quickly. And frankly, we think uh, given where we are in the credit cycle today, uh, being at the top of the capital structure and very safe, secure um, loans is a great place to be. Floating rate floats over LIBOR 
And these are directly, directly structured, directly originated loans where we think that should something go wrong, we have a seat at the table very quickly to manage that risk because of the covenants that we, uh, that we negotiate in these deals. So two different flavors of BDCs. In both cases, the companies that, that, own the, that, um, that uh, underlie those BDCs are generally owned by middle market private equity firms. We used to call them in the old days LBO shops where there's substantial uh, equity underneath of us. So those are the two BDC strategies that we manage. Go ahead, Brush. Thanks, Art. Thanks, Art. Thank you, Rich, for having us here. Please excuse me. I'm a little under the weather today, so if I crack, excuse me. Um, so my name is Raj Shrestha. I'm the Senior Vice President at New Tech Business Services. Uh, New Tech has been a BDC for about three and a half years. Uh, <clears throat> New Tech is one of the sixth largest SBA lender, and it's the, the largest non-bank SBA lender. Uh, New Tech has uh, one of 14 government-guaranteed SBA lending uh, licenses. Um, so our strategy is we originate loans um, from small and medium-sized businesses, um, and we fund them while the government, the SBA, guarantees 75% of those loans. So when we fund these loans, 75% of them 75% of the loans are guaranteed. With those 75% loans, we sell those off for a premium to brokers. That has been our strategy for several years. Um, we, uh, with, with the unguaranteed portion of our loans that we retain, we retain them on our books, and when it comes to a critical level, we securitize those loans. So we are making great, spreads on our, uh, on our on our lending and we're making we're realizing a lot of premium on the sale of these uh, government-backed SBA loans. We also have a 504 product that we use. We have equity investments in different operating uh, company uh, that are portfolio companies which are you know merchant processing, payment processing, uh, technology which includes web hosting, uh, data recovery, design, disaster recovery, um, as well as managed solutions and consulting. Um, and we also have uh, an insurance business and a payroll business. Basically, we want to market ourselves as a, one, as a non-bank lender, but with our portfolio companies, we also want to cross-sell uh, those products into our lenders. So um, we, will be, we want to brand ourselves as a one-stop shop for small and medium-sized businesses. So that's just a bit of flavor on new tech as a company. Now, you had been doing the sort of the merchant processing, doing one stop sort of for merchants right across the board, insurance hosting for probably 20 years? Correct. That's correct. Um, so the businesses, the, the merchant processing business has been around since uh, early 2000, I believe 2002. Um, and the rest of our businesses have been around um, for a very long time as well. Um, how do you guys look at leverage? So the question Rich asked is how do we look at leverage? Um, our main job is to preserve capital. Just want to say that full stop you know, to some of the comments. If you preserve capital, the rest of it takes care of itself. So um, we are, as part and parcel of that, we say we're in the mistake avoidance business. We know that in the lending business, there can be a lot of downside. There can be limited upside. 
So we are very, very picky about what comes into these portfolios. We're only doing about 3% of the deals that come our way. Um, so first and foremost, we, we have to protect capital. Now, we are in a business where, by definition, the borrowers want a lot of leverage. They want to generate very good ROEs. They want to generate very good equity returns. We want to preserve our capital. So it's a negotiation each and every time where, where we land. If you look at our senior, our first lien vehicle, PFLT, average debt to EBITDA today is about four and a quarter times debt to EBITDA. So we, we have a, generally have a piece of debt that's the first dollar in down to four and a quarter times. And generally, the rest of the capital structure is equity or there might be some subordinated debt underneath of us. So loan to value is typically 40 to 50 percent loan to value. There's usually a robust cushion beneath us should something go wrong. God forbid, you know, you, you, know, you, you, uh, you have a non-accrual, there's a default. You essentially own that company at four and a quarter times. Good value, not what we look for, but that's where we're attaching today in our PFLT first lien vehicle. Our across the capital structure, uh, PNNT, BDC, we're attaching today at about five times. So four and a quarter times on PFLT, average yield on those loans today is seven and a half to eight percent. Um, LIBOR's been helping us a little bit. Um, back to PNNT across the capital structure, average debt to EBITDA uh, five times. Uh, average yield on that portfolio today is, is higher. It's the new deals today are in the nine to 10 percent zone. Um, again, robust loan to value cushion. I'm going to say we're at 55 to 60 percent uh, loan to value on those loans. Interestingly, just so you know, the context we're in, Typically, we lend to companies with between 10 and 50 million of annual EBITDA. Why is that the right zone? Because at 50 million and above, those companies can typically very efficiently finance the broadly syndicated loan market, which today, as you know, has been on fire. Lots of covenant light structures. Below 50 million covenants. You can negotiate covenants. You can negotiate your spread. You can negotiate your upfront fee. Capital becomes a lot less commoditized, so you can drive a very attractive risk-adjusted return and preserve your capital uh, through structure. So that's kind of where we're seeing leverage today. Yeah, for us, we are a little bit smaller than your company, Art. Um, we, we, we also uh, have, uh, we have a technology referral platform where we get in, so last year we had $10 billion worth of loan referrals that come in, um, and we only take about three to four percent of those those loan referrals. Um, this past quarter, we've seen an uptake uh, uptick in in the loan referrals uh, to about 4.8 billion just in this quarter. Um, and again, we only take about three to four percent uh, of these referrals. Um, but as we see the leverage growing, our business model is: look, we originate the loans, we pull from our bank. Uh, we, 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 lend, we lend to our borrowers, um, then once we have that 75% guarantee, we sell that to brokers off of that premium that we receive, we pay back down the loan. So the BDC industry has been one-to-one debt-to-equity leverage uh, restraint. They have recently, as you m might know, uh, increased that to two-to-one um, debt-to-equity leverage. So with our model, we had consistently had, not issues, but we had to be cognizant of 
maintaining that one-to-one -one times debt-to-equity uh, ratio. So we are always trying to sell our government-guaranteed pieces um, as quickly as possible so we get that premium so we can pay back down our, uh, our, our revolving credit. Um, with, the, with the new regulation, now again, we would need to have um, shareholder consent. Our board has already approved a two-to-one uh, debt-to-equity ratio increase, uh, but with the new leverage, uh, with the new leverage regulation, we can hold some of these guaranteed pieces realize the in interest income, and then sell off the government pieces maybe a month later, maybe two months later. So we're getting, we're getting a lot more interest income, which essentially uh, filters down to the shareholders uh, and gets more value to, to them. So with this new increase in leverage, we can, can hold our, uh, our government guaranteed pieces and then sell them off for premium. Um, and realize more interest income. That's perfect. Um, as everybody knows, they, uh, the Congress did take up the uh, leverage uh, ratios from one to one to two to one. Um, I think what you have seen is the rating agencies step in and sort of say, hey, we want to talk to each of you guys individually. I think you are beginning to see a pretty robust BDC bond market where these companies no longer have to just borrow from the banks, but uh, go and borrow either institutionally or from the baby bonds. Uh, ART was one of the very first. You want to sort of t talk about how you got involved in issuing baby bonds and sort of why you looked at it as a more, maybe a little more stable funding source? Or I mean, uh, and, and we did it with the help of Rich and his team. Um, I'm going to say it was probably six, seven years ago at yeah. this point, uh, we did a baby bond issuance, which uh, which was terrific long-term financing. I think it was a 12-year deal when we did it. Uh, had a very low, short non-call period. I think it was non-call three. Um, and really diversified funding sources. Going back to the global financial crisis, at that point, BDCs only had credit facilities. Right. And since then, there's been a proliferation of different financing vehicles that BDCs have availed themselves of, including the baby bond market, uh, including SBIC financing. We have SBIC licenses different than, than the ones that Raj has, but we have two SBIC licenses. That's been very helpful capital. Um, BDCs have been uh, hitting the, the institutional bond market as well. Um, and over time, we think the securitization market may be, may be interesting as the SEC and our regulators deal with securitization financing. So. There's going to be, there's a plethora of different uh, financing vehicles. That's great. It's great to have diversified financing. It makes these structures more robust, uh, lower risk. At the same time, I say lower risk, at the same time as leverage, as Rich said, may be going up. And again, that's going to be case by case. Every management team is going to pick and choose where they want to be on leverage. And that, of course, will mean greater dispersion of returns. Higher leverage means higher volatility. And there's going to be people who really take advantage of it and do well. There's going to be people who try to take advantage of it and do, do not do well. Um, but we're very excited uh, about the opportunity that it means for our vehicles and the industry and the, pro uh, and the proliferation of different, different financing techniques. With the agencies coming down a little bit on the industry, as Rich said, um, that may spur different styles of financing that have nothing to do with the rating agencies such as private financings, 
private, uh, private ratings, um, insurance company financings, securitization and structured financings. Uh, as you all know, there's no end to creativity on Wall Street, and uh, you know we're, we're bound to see some interesting structures you know, come out of this. But baby bonds have been a great innovation, and with this two-to-one leverage, they may come back even more in vogue uh, as a way to finance long-term long -term, uh, activity. Yeah, I think, I think one interesting thing for all of you guys that listen to the uh, close-gen fund panel is that BDCs, on average, are trading at 96.8% of NAV. The dispersion is from probably 50% of NAV to about 124 for the in externally managed. Internally, sometimes they're a little bit higher. Uh, and the average dividend yield is 9.4% right now. So I do think that one reason you see such a big dispersion is that you do have research. And all the firms that are in this space do provide company, individual company research. A lot of them think pr relatively similarly but a, somebody that they think that comes out and looks like a bad manager really gets punished. Well, good managers, you know, can trade at a premium to NAV, but, but if you got caught in the energy crisis or, you know, you're not covering your dividend for a prolonged period of time and you're just returning, you know, ROIC, this, this space is much more punishing than you get in, in the closed-end fund space. So I do think that management teams are very important here and the additional leverage is going to make this dispersion much more because if you make a mistake and you're running more leverage, it's going to hurt twice as much. Do you want to talk briefly, Raj, about how you, your securitization? Yeah, so uh, we, like I, like I had mentioned to you before, we have 75% of our loans that are guaranteed by the government and we sell those off, but the 25% that are unguaranteed, we keep on our books. And um, as the year goes on and we keep getting higher and higher amounts of these unguaranteed pieces, we take those pool of loans which have the same credit as the, as the, the government guaranteed pieces that we've already sold off. We take those, we securitize them, and that gives us additional capital um, for, uh, for our business. But I wanted to get back to what, what you said on um, raising baby bonds because of the one-to-one -one restraints that we had before on leverage, we are always going to, to market and, and selling off our shares um, to, get to, to make sure that we are uh, within the regulation. Um, we have an ATM where we drip shares into the market and make sure we're under that one-to-one -one leverage constraint. But now with this two-to-one increase in leverage, we can use uh, instruments such as the baby bonds, which we have raised with uh, with Rich, um, and we can use those baby bonds to actually fund the equity portion of our uh, of our loans um, with, with that. So we don't have to continuously go to the market and issue uh, issue shares, uh, thereby diluting the shareholders. So the increase in, in leverage of two to one is definitely um, beneficial to all our shareholders. I, th I think away from the number of public BDCs, something that we're seeing more and more of are, and they talked about this on the panel, is asset managers going directly to high net worth individuals. Sometimes they're using a placement agent. We have one called Eaton. 
but the amount of money that is chasing debt deals that look very similar to a BDC it is absolutely staggering. I mean, I think Alrock in the last year and a half has put, has put together for like $5 billion. Um, and you, almost all the big names are out there. And while a lot of that is tending to be endowment funds uh, and state pension funds, a huge amount of it is high net worth with people cutting checks for five, 10 million bucks. The BDC market is not necessarily that liquid in individuals. You know, you can get in and out of the BDC where these other funds are gonna have lockups and gates and everything. But, but the whole sort of structure of a two and 20, I know you're internally managed, you're externally managed, but, but those funds, are, these, big, these big funds that are being created and put to, get, put to work, I think are a little bit different. You know, I'd, I'd be, I think that when they get that big and they have to put all that money out quickly, they tend to be a little more in the syndicated market and it's not quite the value add. That's right, that's right. So, you know, to this point of where, where's the sweet spot today? You know, what's, where's, the, where's, a, where's the best risk reward? Once you start managing 10, 15, 20 billion, which is what, you know, on the debt side, which some of these big alternative asset managers do, it's hard to be writing checks for $20 million EBITDA companies. It just, you, you lose the economy of scale, you lose it. And so inevitably some of these firms get so big, they end up competing with a broadly syndicated loan market. They need to write checks for 50, 60, $70 million EBITDA companies, and, and they have to compete against a very efficient market where there's no covenants, where spreads are very tight. So again, the sweet spot for us is 10 to 50 EBITDA. Really today, the sweet spot is 20 to 30 EBITDA, where, um, where you can drive pricing, where you can drive structure, where you can drive covenants, where you can drive upfront fees, where your capital is not commoditized. And uh, in this market, and look, we've, we, we, we thought for sure the peak of the credit cycle was three years ago. That's how good we were. 2015, that was the peak of the credit market. Here we are in 2018. And, and there's no end in sight. The economy seems good. We have 150 different portfolio companies. The economy's in really good shape. This could last for a while, right? So, so we underwrite as if the recession's coming soon, even though we don't think the recession's coming soon. But we still, we think that kind of being at the top of the capital structure in a structured piece of paper with covenants, with floating rates so that as LIBOR goes up, you're participating, and should something go wrong with these companies, you're at the table immediately there to preserve capital is a really good place to be, um, which is why, you know, we kind of like, uh, you know, this middle market senior debt below the broadly syndicated space. And God bless the firms that are, that are now mega, mega funds, but, you know, when you get to a certain size, by definition, you have to compete against the broadly syndicated loan market, which is tough right now. Who is your classic borrower? So uh, we are a lot smaller than uh, Penn and Park. We, um, our typical EBITDA of our borrowers is maybe one to $10 million. Um, these guys, we are also at the, the, top, of the top of the capital structure, um, but everything is, uh, is securitized by, um, or collateralized by, uh, by commercial real estate mainly. So it's for an operating business, but you're taking the building or real estate as collateral. Correct. So you're really a secured. Correct. Right. Um, 
see here. Um, Art, how many people cover you on the research side? Do you, do you remember? I don't remember. Yeah, so on the research side, and it's a good point you're making about BDCs, closed-end funds, and the similarities and differences. Uh, one of our BDCs has about nine uh, different equity uh, firms covering us, uh, and the other has about six. So um, every quarter there's, you know, lots of information going out. There's obviously a quarterly call. The research analysts call in. They ask tough questions. They print reports. We do non-deal roadshows. We do conferences. You know, this is the life we chose. We chose to be a public company, so we have to assume there's a good amount of, of getting out to see people and dealing with research channels and dealing with their pointed questions. You know that when you do a bad deal, and we do bad deals from time to time, ladies and gentlemen. We are a human organization. We make mistakes. When you do bad deals, you're going to get a pointed question on a public conference call about what's going on with that deal. Why is it marked below par? What's, the, what's going on? You know, what, what were you thinking? What are you doing to clean it up? And that's, again, part and parcel of the, the tax we're paying. We're happy to pay it. We have you know, long-term capital. And we think it's healthy for the industry to have that kind of transparency uh, and have those kinds of pointed questions because that's what builds confidence and trust. Absolutely. I, one comment I would say is that even in closed-end fund research, those of us that publish it, in many cases, it's not talking about the strategy which research analysts do in this space, in the BDC space. It's more, you know, are these closed-end funds trading a discount to NAV? It's more of a mathematical NAV type of a research rather than having real research analysts dig in and analyze how does this company, this BDC, make its loans? What strategies does it have? How is it funding itself? Because funding is half the issue here, guys. I mean, you only have to be right on the credit side. You've also got to get the funding side of these things right. It's hard. It, it's yeah. hard. It's hard running one of these uh, one of these things. And uh, um, but look, it's very rewarding. We get we get we all get a chance to be on, have a front row seat on American capitalism. We get, it's a wonderful thing to get paid to have a front row seat. We, we get to see wonderful, small, mid-sized companies. Every day there's new industries, new companies coming to us. And, and the learning that goes on and the discussion that goes on is, a, is, is great. And, and, and in many cases, you see very successful companies that just grow up and out of our market. They end up growing up beyond us, and they're, they are into the broadly syndicated market, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. So, um, you know, these companies were set up by Congress uh, you know, back in the late 70s, I think, with the, with the regulatory purpose of channeling capital to small and mid-sized businesses, like the Small Business Administration, too. The SBA program was the Eisenhower administration. Both of these, both of these structures were set up to channel capital to small and mid-sized businesses in the United States, and we have the, the blessing to be able to be, have a front row seat and really get to know these companies, due diligence on these companies, get to know the management teams, debate the pluses and minuses, um, and, and help fuel that growth. So it's very exciting. And, and I'll also add, um, with, with the, the recent tax change in, uh, in the country, we have seen uh, an, an uptick in our, uh, in our lenders' cash flow profile. Um, so there, are, as I mentioned before, there's a lot more loan referrals coming in because we believe that these lenders or these borrowers can um, service the interest expense better. 
Got you. We've got about eight minutes left. Uh, we'll open it up for questions. Yes, Nicholas. Questions, uh, two questions, if I may. Your shareholder base, is it primarily institutional? So the question is a shareholder base. So on average of the two BDCs, it's 65% retail. Retail. 35% institutional. We, when, we, when we originate a loan in investment committee, we will say, is this safe enough for your grandmother? We will literally use those. We understand who our shareholders are. Would you put your grandmother in this loan? And if it doesn't meet that muster, among a, among a bunch of other different characteristics, we won't do the deal. If I'm not mistaken, within the yield-oriented investment uh, range, BDCs is one of the best investments for an investor. Am I right? Or so, the, so the question, it's a softball question. If he's not mistaken, are BDCs among the best investments to yield-oriented investors? I'm biased. I think it's the best investment. So last question, is there anything that should keep somebody from investing in a BDC? What is the, the risk? What's the risk of BDCs? As Rich said, BDCs can be managed well, and sometimes they can be managed not so well, and the volatility and the dispersion returns you know, can be great. There are some BDCs trading at 50, 60 cents on the dollar today. There's some BDCs trading at 120 cents on the dollar. So, um, so to the point of, of what's the strategy, what's the manager, how do they manage their risk, where do you want to be on the risk-reward spectrum in terms of, uh, of the risk you're taking, the, the, uh, the BDCs that have generally been performing the best recently have been the lower risk, lower reward BDCs like our PFLT BDC. Do you think BDCs get a fair valuation today in the market? Uh, a number of them are trading, I think, below NAV, so is that? I, I, think, I think they, look, I think that this market has grown up. I think it has been very innovative because the BDC market isn't really that old. I'm not saying that there aren't BDCs that haven't been around for a long time, but, you know, we're still, we're still capable of doing IPOs in this market. You will see a perpetual IPOs this year. Uh, I don't think that you will see a lot of blind pools. I mean, clearly you're blind on whatever their capital raise is, but if somebody's rolling in a couple hundred million dollars. Um, so we have learned from our past, our past problems of doing blind pools and, and all that sort of stuff. I think that BDCs are getting because they have performed better, because you have broker-dealer research, and you know, if you think about all the thousands of retail brokers out there, you know, our, our research analysts, and same thing with Wells and Morgan Stanley, those research analysts are on with our retail guys all the time, talking about the space. So I think it's easier for them to sort of understand it. The institutional market in the mutual funds that pretty much got out of BDCs a couple of years ago because unlike a mortgage read or a property read, uh, the accountants came in and said you have to count the double carry, you know, because these things are carried vehicles, so two and 20 type of a structure. And then you're paying a mutual fund to owe you, so everybody got upset that they, investors were paying a double fee. So despite that huge rout, when it was it was tough, and the financial crisis, you've seen this sector grow every year, diversify its funding base. Uh, more and more research is being put out on this on this space, and you're going to continue to see IPOs because I think the management teams and the investment banks have been very innovative in ways to sort of market this. And, and I think that's sort of one of the small differences between a close a, a debt closed end fund. And a BDC. Oh. Um, it, what seems to me to be a pretty good economic environment 
low, long, low loan loss rates. Um, sounds like good underwriting uh, by you folks. The total return over the last year has been relatively poor. Um, and just looking at your, it looks like you're significantly below NAV, about 78% on this key piece here. I'm trying to rationalize, it sounds like a good story. I'm trying to rationalize the story versus yeah. the performance. Yeah, so, uh, so again, we have two BDCs. One is PFLT, which is trading about 97 cents on the dollar. That's a lower fee, lower risk, lower reward BDC. It trades at about an 8% yield. Um, have had de minimis credit losses now over seven years. Our other BDC, Pennant Park Investment Corporation, uh, PNNT, uh, still has residual energy exposure that we are, um, we are working through. I'm hopeful that we can work through it in the next 12 months. We did announce a stock buyback. Uh, a few days ago after our earnings, so we're very optimistic on the future. That's that is a you know that's that's something that we're we're trying to correct and we're we're taking remedial action. But it's been uh, we're optimistic that that one's gonna gonna come back strong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So both you know PFLT is is 100% uh, floating, PNNT is 90% floating rate. So we're, we've been getting the benefits of, of LIBOR uh, swinging up here over the last uh, quarter or two, and we'll see what the Fed does over the course of the year, but, but we could be a beneficiary of, of rising rates. Yeah, so the, so the question is, we're in a decent energy environment. Energy finally is rebounding. WTI is over 70. Um, you know, is there ups in PNNT? We believe so. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, we, the dividend is secure. We feel very good about the dividend on that vehicle. And there's an inherent, we believe, upside as energy rebounds, um, which is what we said on our quarterly conference call a few days ago. We've initiated a stock buyback. So we're optimistic that, you know, PNNT is, a, is an interesting value play. If you want something that's absolutely safe enough for your grandmother, PFLT. If you want something that's a little bit more uh, juicy of an opportunity, PNNT might be, might be an interesting opportunity for you. Right over there. Next, yeah. Right now, so our, our dividend yield is about nine and a half percent a year. Yeah, I'm, but what I mean is, what's your coverage ratio of that payout with net interest and income? Sorry, can you explain yeah, so, that? So you're paying out whatever, and what have you made? Against that, and and I oh, we're 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 paying out. Uh, we target ninety to ninety uh, ninety to one hundred percent. So we're we we target to be ninety five percent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. For those of you that are new to the BDC space, they have to pay out ninety percent. Correct. Ninety percent of their earnings. They don't have to pay out principal gains, but as you can imagine, in this interest rate environment, if you're selling all your gains to grow NAV, you're going to have to reinvest at a lower rate. So you don't see a whole lot of that kind of that kind of churn. The same thing, by the way, is going to be true uh, on your closed-end funds, right? All that interest income has to get paid out. And if you do retain it for some period of time, you'll occasionally see special dividends where people are trying to get it, get it cleaned up. Retail investors and institutional investors don't like choppy dividends. They like to see gradually increasing dividends and relatively stable. So all of the BDCs will do a little bit of smoothing. And to, to I think, Jerry Rayo's point, 
if you had a quarter where you're not covering your dividend because you couldn't make enough loans that month, but you think you got a big calendar the next month, one month or two months of not covering your dividend by a little bit isn't a big deal. Not covering it for a prolonged period of time is a disaster. Any other questions? One more. Over the last several years, an expansion in the formation of new VDCs, both private and public. We've also seen uh, the formation of middle market focused uh, direct lenders, VDCs or not. So what are your thoughts on a go forward basis in terms of uh, buyout multiples, uh, spreads and yields that can be obtained from lending to these middle market companies as this you know, additional capital keeps coming into the market. Yeah, so the question is, is a lot of capital seems to be appearing on the scene. Yeah. Is there still an opportunity? Um, just to give you a sense of the enormity, and there's been a lot written about, about all the capital that's been raised, there's something like 1,500 to 2,000 middle market financial sponsors in the United States. It's a massive amount. We cover at Penn Park, we actively cover feet on the street, 400 of those. We've done deals with 180 and we've done repeat business with about 90. We think there's an enormous addressable market. You know, I used to go to LA to, to, to pitch sponsors. There'd be five guys to visit. I went to LA three months ago. We had a dinner, we had 20 people, 20 different sponsors, spin outs out of the, out of the, out of the firms. And that's a nice market for us is the people that we've done deals for that we know, that we trust, they spin out out of their bigger firm and they, they set up a new firm. And we know how they operate and we know how judicious they are. So we still think, despite you know, the, the, the amount of capital, a lot of it, as Rich said, is to these mega funds that have raised 10 billion, 15 billion, 20 billion, and they have to, they have to then, by definition, finance bigger companies. Um, in our core space, which is 10 to 50 of EBITDA, with those 400 middle market financial sponsors that we cover, we're seeing very attractive first lien senior secured loans. And what do we used to call those? Those would be called bank loans, bank loans. You may remember that term. Banks don't really do them, at least for these companies anymore. We do them and we have a bunch of peers that do that. So we're still very optimistic in particular about that first lien uh, piece of paper. Thank you, guys. Thank you very we much. appreciate it. Thank you, everybody.